I want to pray with you now before we open God's Word. In the church, we are praying for eight things, and we rotate these through our worship experience. And that is that we would pray for attendance, morality, spiritual growth, finances, volunteers, health, families, and leaders. God is answering prayers in each of those areas, and today we're going to pray for morality. And when we talk about morality, we're not just talking about sexual purity. We're talking about honesty. We're talking about integrity. We're talking about not stealing. We're talking about all manner of things that are moral. So those of you who are physically able, I invite you to kneel with me as we pray. Father in heaven, you are holy, and we recognize that, and we praise you that you have given us Jesus Christ, that we might be able to approach you in his name. And so in his name, we come to you this morning, and we thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for all the blessings that you give us through this past week and in our lives. And Lord, we are asking as a people who are seeking to follow you that you will give us your Holy Spirit and you will give us a clear mind and a conscience that follows where you lead and teach us to be people who are moral. Teach us to be people who will honor our parents and be careful in all manner of things sexually. And we pray that you will teach us not to steal and not to talk about other people or to tell lies in any way. Help us, be, help us to be men, women, and boys and girls of integrity whose word is good and whose character is pure. We ask, Heavenly Father, as we open your word today, that you will speak to each one of us where we're at, where we need to be, and we'll experience what you want us to experience and that each one of us will leave here today knowing we have been in your presence. May our lives be affected for eternity, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who are visitors, welcome. We have been in the midst of a series called Moving Forward Together. And in this series, we have looked at a lot of aspects of moving forward together. We've looked at the theology of together, where God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have been together for eternity. We looked at how God created angels, and he did not create them separately, but they were together. Adam was alone for just a few hours before Eve was provided, and they were together. And until sin entered, there was perfect harmony in all that was together. We've been looking at the New Testament church and how they moved forward together. They prayed together. They supported one another. They faced fear together. They moved forward together. We started studying the Apostle Paul's writings regarding offerings, and we discovered that his counsel is referring to a situation in Jerusalem. The believers there were having a hard go of it, 
And so the offering was to support the believers in Jerusalem who were suffering. We learned that the relief of human suffering was the reason the churches gave to this offering. They believed in the cause, they trusted the leadership, and they knew there was accountability. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul encouraged the church at Corinth, who had a year before he wrote this letter, promised that they would give to this offering, but had not done it yet. So one year later, Paul is writing to them that they should continue with what they had promised. And initially, he uses the churches of Macedonia as an example. We studied that several weeks ago. Then last week, we went to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 9. I'll ask you to go there again. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 9. The Apostle Paul used Jesus himself as an example as to why to give. And we're going to look at this passage again and to learn more from it. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 7, 8, and 9. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. The grace he's referring to in this passage is talking about the offering. In verse 8, I speak not by commandment, there was no force involved, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. This offering was to be an act of love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And we learned last week that when it refers to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in this context and looking at it, how it is tied together with other things, we're talking about Calvary. We're talking about Jesus' death on the cross. And that that is the example the Apostle Paul holds up, that though Jesus was rich, he went to Calvary. He became poor so we could become rich. And Jesus' death, was for each one of us individually. We've read and we've heard that if we were the only one who had ever sinned, Jesus would come and die for us. And it's extremely important that we understand that concept. The cross will mean nothing to you until you see yourself there. Until you see yourself as the one nailing Jesus to the cross. Until you see yourself as the one for whom He died. It was not just Roman soldiers doing their job. It was not wicked, hypocritical priests who put Jesus on the cross. It was not a weak uh, leader like Pilate. It was me that put Jesus on the cross. It was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. He took my death upon Himself to give me His life. Until it is personal, it will mean nothing to me. But there's more than it being personal. Jesus' death was for each of us individually, but it was more. And that is what I want to study with you today. Please go to Galatians chapter 2. You'll find that just to the right of 2 Corinthians. In Galatians chapter 2, I will emphasize the pronouns as we see Paul personalizing the cross of Christ. Galatians 2 verse 20, he says, I, 
have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And all of that is true. And that text can be our text. In fact, that text should be our text. It is an individual experience. But we're going to move today beyond the individual experience. The cross always begins there. It always begins with us. But the purpose of the cross was not just to save isolated persons. In fact, some of them would just be perpetuated in their loneliness. But the purpose of the cross was not only to save individuals, but to create a new community whose members belong to Jesus. God was going to fix what sin had destroyed. And he is using the cross to do that. Let's look at Titus. Go to the right. And you go past First and Second Timothy and you'll come to Titus. Titus chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, the author here is Paul, the same one who wrote in Galatians where it was I and me, I and me. Here it is us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. When we go to the book of Acts, when we read the passage there, we discover that when Peter stood up to preach on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added to them. There was a them. It is not just a me. It is not just an I. The cross does meet me as an individual, but then it takes me beyond individualism. The community of Christ would be a community of renewed and reunited humanity. They would move forward together. And that's what is described for us in Romans chapter 5. Please turn there. Romans chapter 5. We have an interesting theological presentation made by the Apostle Paul. He's going to talk about Adam, and that's in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. We can thank Adam for our problems to some degree. Because of Adam and his sin, and Eve and her sin, and the children that were born to them in sin, we have a problem. And this is a problem you can blame your parents for. You were born a sinner because they were sinners. But before you get too high and mighty, your children can blame you. Because we're all born into the same problem. We're born broken, we're born selfish, and we are born with a need to be saved, to be redeemed, a need to be made right with God. It's because one man 
who represented, who was the head of humanity, and through him all were born sinners. But God was not satisfied to leave the world that way. He sent, as some theologians say, another Adam. But he was more than Adam. He was the Son of God. And God so loved us, he, was not allowing, he would not allow us to remain in the situation we were in. And so in verse 17, the, the focus shifts to Jesus. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Through Adam, death reigns. Through Christ, life reigns. Eternal life. And we read on, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. How are we made righteous? Christ's obedience. And we can praise God for that. We have none to offer. Never will. Christ's obedience is our righteousness. It is the hope of eternal life to everyone who believes. Well, Jesus was like a second Adam. And He would save the individual and create a community of people who belong to Him, love one another, and eagerly seek to serve. This would renew and reunite humanity. Jesus would be the head of this group, not Adam. How would it happen? Jesus, as you know, died in abject aloneness, rejected by His own people, deserted by His disciples, and separated by God Himself. But Jesus went there willingly for the purpose of our salvation. We read about it in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, we begin with verse 30. Jesus said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast down. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Jesus in his aloneness, went to Calvary. Jesus, rejected by his nation, deserted by his disciples, and separated by his Father because of our sin, was lifted up on the cross to draw all mankind to himself that they might be renewed and they might be reunited. Jesus is undoing what sin has done. Sin separates from God. The Bible talks about the effects of gossip separating even the best of friends. Sin is in the separation business. Years ago, the devil had an auction and people went to look at his tools. And he came to one tool and, and uh, he held it up and the people said, well, what, what will it cost to buy that? And he said, no, I don't know if I want to sell it. It's been so effective for me. And the tool was a simple wedge. So all it was was a simple wedge. 
And the way that a wedge works is very sharp on one end. Doesn't take much of an opening to get it started. A little misunderstanding between people, maybe something said that was said a little harsh, doesn't take much, and the wedge is just inserted slightly. And it doesn't take a lot of pressure because of the dynamics and the physics of a wedge. It doesn't take a lot of pressure before that, that opening begins to grow and eventually people's lives are split apart and sometimes they don't even know the beginning of it. Have you ever come home in a good mood? Your spouse is in a good mood? And 40 minutes later, you wonder how World War III started? What happened? Back up. You'll find there was a little opening and that wedge was inserted. The devil is seeking to place a wedge between us and others. God will remove the wedge. You see, Calvary renews us and reunites us. The reuniting of humanity would include Jews and Gentiles. You can read about that in Ephesians chapter 2. The reuniting of humanity will take away titles, places, even gender. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Paul says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All are one in Christ. How does that work? Well, when we accept Him as our Savior, several things happen to us. First, we begin to love Him. We begin to have a personal allegiance to Him. He is our Savior. And not only are we willing, but we are wanting to follow Him in our lives. We seek to praise Him. And we seek to live in a way that pleases Him. Not by constraint. We want to. Who doesn't want to please someone they love? We become part of a renewed and reunited humanity. Our personal allegiance to Jesus cannot be separated from our social membership in His family of believers. Now God could take nations. He took Jews. He took Gentiles. He brought them together through the cross. And they lived in harmony one with another. If God can do that with nations... What can he do with families? What can he do with marriages? Now, I'm going to say something right now that probably I will get emails regarding. It's okay. You send them. You'll never know whether I read them or not. <laughs> but I want you to listen very carefully. This is a profound reality. In Christ, we are renewed and we are reunited. Divorce would never happen if both parties 
are renewed. No divorce ever takes place unless at least one person has decided to no longer serve God. That's what it's declaring. God is unable to renew me and reunite us. And that simply is a lie from hell. God is able and God is willing. It's up to the human heart. You see, if I have been renewed by Jesus, if my sins have been forgiven, I can forgive my spouse their sins. If I see that God thinks better of me than what I really am, I can think better of my spouse. If God appreciates me, I can appreciate my spouse. If God is seeking to build me, I can seek to build my spouse. If I am serving God, that's what I will do. If I am not serving God, it doesn't matter how hard my spouse is. I will still tear that relationship up. I will crumple it and throw it away because I am serving death. And the reign of death is in my heart because I still have Adam as my head instead of Christ. This powerful salvation through the shed blood of Jesus the shed blood of Jesus unites us as a family. The shed blood of Jesus washes away our sins. The shed blood of Jesus is more powerful than water, which theologically means more powerful than my natural birth. Being born again is more powerful than my natural birth. I am changed. And that's what Jesus is all about. Renewing us reuniting us. And why so? Because God is in the together business. And He wants us to move forward together. He wants your home to stay intact. He wants you to enjoy fellowship with others who are seeking to serve God. What do families do when someone is in trouble in their family? What do they do? They help them. And Paul is saying that to the Corinthians. The believers in Jerusalem are in trouble. They need help. We're all family. We're born of the same blood through Christ. Don't you want to help? And of course, they lined up and they did. And there was a great deliverance for the people in Jerusalem. So the death of Jesus is for each one of us personally, but it is much more. Through him, we are renewed, we are reunited, and we become part of the body of Christ. We are family. Now, how many of you belong to a perfect family? They wouldn't let you belong if they were. And you know, family, my, my wife has a saying, yeah, blood is thicker than water, but it's harder to drink, too. <laughs> Do you ever get irritated with family? 
Yeah. Do you ever? Yeah, I'm not going to go through a long list. You're, you all belong to a family. <laughs> but here's what happens. In Christ, we can be renewed. We can be reunited. And families that are like that take care of each other. When somebody's down, they help them. When somebody's sick, they help them. When somebody's out of funds, they help them. That's what Paul is talking about. The church is a family, a gathering of believers, and we are to help one another. Now, today, as we come to the end of this sermon, I would like you to do something for me. Those of you who are physically able, I want you to stand. Some of you might have to move a little bit. Others of you are already crowded in nicely. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to several people. You won't be able to do it simultaneously. but So do this several times. And I simply want you to say this. I am glad you are part of the family. <laughs>